Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ on this great and incredible day of Pentecost. What happened? Those disciples who had been gathered together for about ten days from the time of the ascension. They were waiting for this day to come, and suddenly there was this great and mighty wind, and the disciples were all gathered together, and the Holy Spirit came with force upon them. Tongues of fire appeared over their heads, and as they stood up, they began to preach and proclaim in other languages, dialects even, the great praises of Him who they had served as disciples and who had brought redemption and life and salvation to the world in which we now live. And as they preached this marvelous and powerful word, there were about 3,000 that came to the faith that day. These men who had been weak and who had been fearful suddenly became full of courage and conviction. And their words that were spoken were words filled not just with the thoughts of men, but with the words of the Holy Spirit that penetrated into the hearts of those who heard them. And they cried out, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God will call. And then they gathered together and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. It is, of course, our prayer today in the very theme of our sermon that we would pray that we might be the church of Pentecost. What was the state of the church back in those days? We would say on the one hand that that church was primarily made up of a leadership that was more political than theological. Remember the story of Caiaphas. This Caiaphas who had said, we have to do something about this guy because if he keeps on going on the way he is, we're going to find that the Romans are going to come and take away our place here, yeah, the high priests and their political stance and their rule over the people were more interested in themselves and their self-preservation. And of course, along with it, there were the Pharisees, those self-righteous Pharisees who could stand there and with raising their hands before God could say, I thank thee, God, that I am not like other men. Pharisees who believed that their merits and their works and their deeds had made them so desirable to the eyes of God. That was a part of the state of the church at that time. We also know that the preaching and the teaching, whatever there was, what little of it there was, was not directed towards the care of the souls of men. Pharisees were ready to make converts, but they would always lay heavy burdens upon them so that people's souls could find no comfort whatsoever. This is why it is that John the Baptist was so loved. John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Mark's gospel says. The people went out to him. Why? 
Jesus had looked upon the people, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They had no, no place for themselves. They found no comfort and consolation in this legalism and this politicism that they saw before themselves. And there was John preaching that this one here, this Christ, was going to bring something that would be far greater, the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. We know at this time the state of the church was bound more by ethnicity than probably anything else. Jews who were scattered throughout the entire world were drawn together much like with Islam of today, more by their dietary laws, by their rituals, and of course by their pilgrimages, for which this was the reason why it is that there were so many people from so many nations that were gathered together there in Jerusalem they had come from all over the world there to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, a harvest festival, but it also was something that God had prefigured so that they might know that the time had now come for another harvest, the harvest of the Gentiles. What can we say about the state of our church today. And when I say church, I mean this broader veil of Christendom that claims that name. When it comes to politics, perhaps it is much the opposite of that era and that time. We have come to be a church in a very secular world, and very often that secularity has invaded itself into the very culture of the church. Secular humanism, we call it, has taken over uh, this greater Christianity. And now Christ and His grace and the forgiveness of sins and the Word of God has just kind of become a ho-hum. When it comes to preaching and teaching and the care for souls, the sheep are not grieving over not having any shepherds. The sheep don't think they need shepherds at all. I was speaking this last week with the president of the seminary down in St. Louis, Dale Meyer. Dale Meyer said, when I was growing up and the pastor said, thus says the Lord, everybody said, amen. And they listened. He said, now today, I say, this is what God says. And people say, well, that's your opinion. Today, we don't need shepherds to guide us because I guess we're so enlightened. What holds us together? It's certainly not ethnicity anymore. All of us who are Northern Europeans are now being diluted into the American culture. The golden age of Lutheranism has come to an end when I guess you might say people just kind of automatically thought that they would be going to church. The only thing that really is bonding the greater aura of Christendom is a kind of a vague sentimentality. Kind of like we like our God and we like our community and we like to be able to feel as though we have kind of a general sense of being Christian. But all of this, of course, means the exact same thing that it meant back in those days. That there is a need for the call of repentance that there is a need for men to feel in their hearts their need for a Savior, and there is a great and crying need in our world today 
to be able to know the comfort and the consolation of coming to be at peace with God through the blood of Christ. Of course, we have to remember Pentecost and its power came by the Holy Spirit as He came upon the church, and it was a Pentecost that came with great power. What did Paul say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and for the Gentile. And this is why it is that we should pray for the Holy Spirit to make us into a church of Pentecost even here today. What is it that we are going to therefore pray for? We pray for pastors and for teachers who are filled with courage and conviction. Revealed by the way not only that we resist politics of both kinds, both the politics that would, we would devote ourselves to in the external world and the politics that sometimes come into the church, also the way that we resist this secular humanism that penetrates our church today, such incredible immorality under the name of Christianity. Instead, we are going to pray that we might be a church of the Holy Spirit so that we might, be having, that we might have the courage to call upon all people to repent and to turn to Christ for their forgiveness of sins. This is what it is that the people did when they were cut to the heart. They turned to Peter and they said, Peter, what must we do? Peter didn't tell them Go out and do works. Go out and do deeds. You must act this way. You must behave this way. He said this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This, of course, tells us that we as God's church are not going to be many, but we are going to only be few. But when the few stand their ground when the few have, confer, have the courage to be able to make their confession known, God can work great things. Today, our guest speaker and our Bible class, our Reverend Stephen Price, is going to talk to us about a man named Johannes Bugenhagen. And this Johannes Bugenhagen, we would say, was responsible for bringing all of Denmark into this wonderful gospel that we now know as our Lutheran confession. But there was something that happened before that that actually made it really happen. Christian III was the son of Frederick I. And Frederick I, while he was yet a lowly duke, not yet king of Denmark, when he was a lowly duke, was there in a city called Worms. When a monk some common monk from Wittenberg was brought before the Emperor Charles V. And there as he stood before that emperor and he said, I must not and I will not recant unless you can show me from scriptures or from clear reason that I am wrong. God help me. Amen. And when he walked out, that young Frederick saw the courage of that man and opened his heart up to the gospel. And he went back and by God's grace became king of Denmark and had he not become king, the Lutheran confession never would have penetrated into the hearts of Denmark.
We might be small. We might be a few. But when we are people of courage and conviction, we become the church of Pentecost. We are also to pray, not just for leaders who have courage and conviction, but we are to pray that our own hearts would be cut to the core by God's Word. That we may sorrow for what it is that we have failed to do and be before God. That we would understand and look into that mirror of the law and see our own sins. But seeing those sins, knowing full well that we have a Savior, a forgiveness of sins, a grace of God, that we would therefore turn and get our own souls cleansed through both that baptismal water and that apostolic forgiveness. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are to pray that these hearts would be moved every day to that forgiveness that God has given to us. And if we are going to be a church of Pentecost, we need to pray that we too would be bound together as a church. Bound together just like those 3,000 people that were brought to the faith that day who became Christians and what bound them together is simply put in this text. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in the fellowship, the koinonoi, this, this bond in the Word of God and in a love for one another where there was peace and reconciliation that took place between themselves because of this grace that God had given to them, the fellowship and prayer. The concern that we may have today over the state of the church, and it is a legitimate concern, this so-called external organization of the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, our concern is not per se that we are concerned about the survival of this organization. But what we are concerned about and what we pray for is the preservation of this Christian faith that we may keep and always have before our eyes the Word of God, the forgiveness of sins, the grace of God given to us in baptism and the Lord's Supper, the consolation that comes through the forgiveness of sins. All of this is something that we pray for that we might have, but even more so that we might have for ourselves and for our children. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and unto your children. I was thinking about this today. Thinking about how it is that I learned this faith even as a child from my grandmother, certainly my parents, but I can remember my grandmother. Took me up to her apartment there in the little town of Montevideo, and she brought me a book on Martin Luther. And I remember reading that child's book on Martin Luther. And I was moved by who this man was. I remember hearing this faith from my grandmother. But you know that she learned it from her grandmother. And in that gap of grandmothers, her grandmother was born right about the time that Napoleon was ravaging Europe. So that meant that that faith was kept clear for 200 years. 
That's what's at stake in us being a church of Pentecost, a church of prayer. Because in each and every one of us, there is 200 years of confession. And when that confession is kept, the church itself remains as a church of Pentecost. So what, we do, what do we pray for? We will pray that we will have courageous leaders and pastors and teachers and fathers and mothers and laity and clergy alike who have courage to be able to step out into the world and make that confession of our faith. We pray that if we're going to be a church of Pentecost that we may always have repentant hearts and that these hearts of ours would long for the sweetness of that forgiveness that comes from Christ. And we pray that we would be bound together not merely by ethnicity or culture or sentimentality or by bratwurst after church second service, but by our doctrine, by our fellowship, by our breaking of the bread, and by our prayers. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.